0: Gun-toting, Righteously American, <laughs> all that stuff. Hey, hey everybody. Um, what is on the show today? Well, we have a lot of fun things on the show today. We are going to be unpacking a lot of information on gun studies, on guns, on just what's going on. Um, are mass shootings the most important issue facing our country right now? Could be, could be, maybe not. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Hey to everyone who's watching the live stream uh, on Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube. And of course, at it's Um, You might have noticed, if you follow me on any social media, that all of the different uh, sites, or not sites, but I did a lot of posting the past maybe 15, 20 hours or so. It's just been nothing but nonstop posts. And that is because we um, have an, all of the posts, all of the different Podcasts, all, The podcasts of all the shows we've done for the past couple years, two or three years, are now also located at stacyontheright.com Now, I also have some other big news. We're gonna have fantastic guests lined up for you. First of all, Charles Payne, Making Money with Charles Payne. You, you guys know him from Fox Business. You know, I've been on his program a ton of times. And he just sent me his new uh, How to Create a Recession-Resistant Portfolio, a Plan for Never Outliving Your Money, I actually got the DVD and the book, so I'm so excited about having both. Um, just recently got these, and so he's going to come on the show next week and talk about that, and you know, Charles is friend of the Stacy on the Right show, what, back when it was the whole post-dispatch dust-up thing, and they suspended me and started really slandering me on their website. Charles Payne had me on immediately. He did not wait. He had me on to talk about what had happened to me and why they were doing what they were doing and why I did what I did, which was terminate the contract. And he also let me talk about the Second Amendment. And I talked about God, how much I, you know, I I trust him above all. So whatever was happening with the post dispatch was, you know, down here on this level, but I was not going to take my eyes off of the kingdom. And so that's, that's awesome. That, you know, you know how it is when you know someone. They'll be there for you when, when you've been kicked, when you're down, and the phone's not ringing from the people that you normally spend your time with, but someone that you've only been on their program maybe 10 times is like, hey, get on here and tell everybody what you did. Charles Brennan from KMOX was like that too. Um, everybody at the NRA, especially the, I call them the, the, the old guys, they're not old, but I call them old guys because they've been in the business so long And PR over at Ackerman McQueen. They actually gave me a job, a replacement job that was much better than the job I had at the time at the post dispatch. And, uh, so on and on and on. Just, you know, Second Amendment Foundation people were behind me. There, there was just a lot of, uh, great folks. Wayne Dupree, com. Um, just great people who came alongside and were like, yes, you know, you, you're still good with us. Um, of Cam Edwards, uh, of Cam and Company and Cameron Gray, um, They were fantastic during that time So, you know, just thinking back to then It was such a rough minute You know, it was not like the worst thing that's ever happened But it was a pretty momentous occasion Seeing my name all over Facebook and seeing people say horrible things about me, people who'd never met me, people who were glad that I was no longer with the Post-Dispatch because they hated the fact that a black woman was writing conservative content over there. And they just reveled in what they saw as my downfall. They even emailed me and said, see what you get for, you know, shilling for the white people. See what you get for shilling for people uh, for the Second Amendment. You're an NRA shill. You're paid by the NRA. None of those opinions you held were yours. You only said them because you were getting paid. And those were just nothing but lies. But I still had to put up with what they were saying. And with the post-dispatch literally slandering me on their op-ed pages and allowing people to put stuff up about me that wasn't true, that they knew wasn't true because I'd sent them information on what my relationship was with the NRA before I was ever a columnist for them. So not reliving that out of uh, like, oh, look what happened to me. But just to say, you might be in that situation right now. You might have some people in your world who are kind of, uh, feels like they're against you. feels like they're going for your jugular. And I'm just, I'm on the other side of that. And I just have to tell you, you will get on the other side of it too. You will absolutely make it through this and you will be fantastically blessed by God. If you stay the course, hold the line, stay the course. Um, so it's going to be so exciting to talk to him about his new book. I've I've known I, I was thinking to myself you know who's going to write a book next it's Charles Payne and I was right so we'll see um ha, just going to be a fantastic interview I'm going to love it go to stacyontheright hit the subscribe button and also you can go to listen for the podcast I want to welcome in anyone who's listening on um, we have some new opportunities for you to listen tune in radio is now carrying the show it should be up. Uh, within the next few hours Uh, they let me know yesterday that they'd accepted it and we should also be live on Spotify here shortly I'm just waiting for the confirmation on that I sent in everything that needed to be sent in which I kind of dropped the ball on before so I was thinking to myself why am I not on Spotify well eh, they sent me a code that I needed to activate and I didn't I didn't activate it so um so that is going on um so What's on the program today? Well, we're going to be talking about guns, 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 guns. So before we get to that and news of the day, I want to give you your spiritual encouragement. Encouragement, which we love doing here on the program. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So if you're praying that back to God, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it's, Father, I come to you. I'm weary. I'm burdened. Please give me rest. Because you can basically make any scripture into a prayer and pray it back to God, knowing that you're praying the will of the father because you're praying his actual word. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. And then lastly, for today, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, one through two. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this as a song. This was one of my favorite songs when we used to go to a church, Church of God and Christ Church, the first church we ever attended here in the St. Louis metro area. And they had one of the sisters in the church would sing the song. And it's the entirety of Psalm 121. It's set to music and it is an amazing song. If you've ever heard it before, you should uh, Google it. It's a fantastic piece. And it's so encouraging. A beautiful song that you can sing as you're you know, going about doing whatever it is that you have to do during the day. So, all right, it's time for Gun Talk. Um, So why am I bringing this up? Well, I keep seeing these news stories, even though we're getting a little further away from the tragedies that happened in El Paso and Dayton. A lot of the news media people are never let a crisis go to waste. They're really, really focused on making sure that Americans um, are not allowed to forget that the people who were killed were killed with firearms. Now, the reason I have a problem with this is because we've also had a, a recently a knife attack where good people, innocent people were killed with a knife. And so when you think about that, um, you know what? Isn't it against the law and like a murder anytime you kill someone, whether it's with a knife or a gun or whatever else? Yeah, it is. It is. So that's why them only focusing on guns just shows that this is all about their desire to have a, you know, an issue that they can run on because they don't have anything good to run on. And so I want to give you some facts and data that you can use. And the links are at com. And shortly after the show, they'll also be up at stacyontheright.com. So first, we're going to crimeresearch.org. Now, crimeresearch.org is Is one of the best places to go if you want information on guns. Let's say you're, you know, unfortunately dragged into an argument on Facebook and people are arguing about firearms and you're like, uh, you know what? You're, you're, you're lying. Well, you need links to be able to prove that what you're saying is true and what they're saying isn't true. And, and sometimes you're just casting your pearls before swine because, when you tell them that you know the truth and here's a link to it, they won't read the link. They won't. They won't even click it because they're they're stuck where they are. But other people who are watching will click the link and find out that you're telling the truth. So there's a new crime. Well, it's August of 2018, but still in the, in the world of data on firearms, things that are within a year old or two years old or even three years old are considered new because huge uh, data sets. That have to be culled and gone over and information pulled from numerous different sources. That means that you're, you're ending up with, um, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. A lot of researchers have to be involved to get it done. So when you say new, it's fresh information and you know it's new because they haven't disseminated it. The mainstream media doesn't share this information. So this new crime, uh, prevention research center research, it's entitled How a botched study fooled the world about the U.S. share of mass public shootings, the U.S. rate is lower than the global average. So the first thing you need to know is every time someone says the U.S. has more mass shootings than anywhere else, that's a lie. Don't believe it. And you shouldn't really allow it to stand in your face. You have to say, um, that's not accurate. Uh, Crime Research Prevention Center says that's not accurate. Now, um, there's this claim um, that was made in a paper on mass shootings by Adam Lankford. And he's famous for making spurious claims about firearms in the United States. His paper received massive national and international media attention. And it was covered by the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, hundreds of other news outlets uh, spanning at least 35 different countries. Used this paper as a means by which they could then, you know, obviously disarm law abiding citizens. So Lankford claimed that over the 47 years from 1966 to 2012, an enormous amount of the world's public mass shootings and shooters, 31% of them occurred in the United States, which he then directly tied to the fact that the United States is the only country on the face of the planet. I mean, Switzerland, you have the right to own guns, but it's not it's not like it is here. Um, and a lot of them own guns. But we're the only country of our size and our stature economically that has a right that is constitutionally protected to the ownership of firearms and the right to defend yourself against, uh, you know, physical attack. So he claimed that his data was complete and that he had received information or researched information from 171 countries, but he neither identified the cases nor their location nor even a complete description on how he put the cases together, meaning that other researchers who seek to verify the information found in papers and studies were unable to replicate his findings. Now, for those of us who don't live in the research world or community, you might say, okay, so what? You know, he he did the work, so what? But in the scientific community and in the research community, anything that you bring out in a paper, another group of people who don't know you, who've never heard of you, have to be able to take the information that you have presented and the data that you claim you pulled from and replicate your results or your data is faulty, your study is faulty, and it's not to be trusted. And so when when you have a paper that you put out, you're basically inviting anyone around the world in any community to take your data, your information, and your methodology and recreate the results. And the recreation of results in science is what ends up with someone will recreate the results and something new will pop to their mind. And that's how you you see scientists, you know, in China or scientists in America take results from a study out of, you know, Germany, and they end up creating a drug or a treatment protocol that saves lives or reduces the incidence of a, you know, deadly disease, whatever. You understand what I'm saying. So I'm I'm, I'm making that clear because Liberals will say, well, just because you don't trust to analytics for doesn't mean ways, and then you're supposed to respond, how old are you? Like six? Also, sorry, six-year-olds for insulting you like that. And then you're supposed to ignore that person because they obviously don't agree with science because the scientific method is, it's important if we just all agree that we should be able to replicate results from people who claim they're presenting scientific research and data that they want us to use to make policy with, right? So... Um, he didn't give any of his, his information out so no one could replicate the findings. And it's also important that he share the data because of the extreme difficulty in finding mass shooting cases in remote parts of the world dating back to 1966. Because remember, we haven't always tracked. Not every country tracks. Everyone who tracks doesn't track in the same way. Everyone who tracks and even in similar ways does not always have the same methodology, meaning a mass shooting is four or more people uh, in one country. In another country, a mass shooting is eight or more people. In another country, a mass shooting is two or more people. So you have to have those parameters as well. So he reported that from 1966 to 2012, there were 90 public mass shooters in the U.S. Um, and 202 in the rest of the world. Now, CPRC found that his data represented a gross undercounting of the foreign attacks. Now, why is that important? Because he has a goal in mind. He was doing this research so that he could make a point in America and that was patently obvious to anybody who read it. So we'll get back into this some more when we get back. Sarah, right there. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in, too. Just so you know, in real-life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on! Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro! Toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No, Dad, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over it. Tip me (laughs) over This is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -hmm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, Hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from Nitsa and the Ad Council. Okay, kids, dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, uh, pump your knee, nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, so, we were discussing before we went out just then, um, we were talking about the Crime Prevention Research Center study um, and the data that they were able to put together because, so the crime. Prevention Research Center is, is interested in exactly that. They want to prevent crime. And so obviously they're not involved in social policy, but they do look at the trends and information statistics surrounding crime in the United States, especially as it pertains to you know the different ways people commit crime. And it's rare that someone commits a crime when they're they're unarmed or they have no advantage. Criminals like to have an advantage when they're going to commit a crime. So if they're going to break an inner, rob, you know, mug, you know, anything, assault. They're usually going in, they're attacking someone who is in their mind, someone who's weaker, um, an easier prey, if you will, someone that they can actually have the advantage over. Now, saying that, um, I, I want you to think about this from the perspective of criminals. The best possible outcome for criminals, before we get back into this data, I just want you to kind of put this in your mind and, you know, you can stick a pin in it and we can circle back around to it later, or maybe it'll just pop up to you later and you, and I'm trying to spur on some thought here because I find that if I spur on some thought, if I have some thoughtful, um, you know, just, I take a few thoughtful bites of information, I'm better able at that point to. Not really argue, but defend my point and assert new points with people who hold an opposing view, especially on guns, because it's nonsensical for someone to argue that a law abiding gun owner should be disarmed because some other person broke the law with guns, especially since we know there's a huge black market for guns in the United States. And many, many people engage in criminal activity with black market guns. Okay. It's, it's so prevalent that in Hollywood, the first thing that happens when someone gets mugged, or it used to be, they don't, they don't have it so much on TV shows anymore that, that I've watched. Admittedly, I don't watch as much TV as I used to, but, um, the first thing that we have people do, I remember this on, uh, The Practice. If you guys remember that show, it was on in the nineties, Dylan McDermott and others. And, and, uh, so the girlfriend, who's soon to be his wife, she gets mugged and, uh, she's attacked. She, she goes out and Eleanor in the office, the the law office, takes her to this guy she knows, quote fingers, this guy who can get her a gun. And so he furtively sells her a gun on the streets of Boston for not very much money. And then she takes it home and she ends up shooting one of their former clients with it because he's stalking her. And so they never address the fact that she illegally owns the firearm. I mean, they, they kind of gloss over it when the police come and question her. And she's tried for murder and she's actually convicted. It's overturned later. But the point is, she doesn't go through the lawful process of getting a gun because what they would have had to have done is fictionalize it because in Boston, it's harder to get a firearm, even back then in the 90s. So I do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Like, any woman will agree until you start really pointing out that you're for the Second Amendment, that if you have to go toe to toe with a man because of our smaller, usually it's smaller in size, I happen to be super tall, but usually women are much smaller than men. And even when they are super tall, like me, I don't have the same muscle mass as a man. And so a man can easily overpower me. Now, the equalizer in that situation is if I'm armed, or if I've been trained in some kind of martial arts or self defense mechanism where I can, you know, at least kind of get him off kilter enough to get away from him. Or if the police get there within a minute or two of the altercation, or if I have some pepper spray that I can, you know, again, it's about getting away. But if you don't have any of those things present, the man is and usually in these crimes, the men are the aggressors. And so that means that person's going to have the advantage. So The illegal gun market exists outside of what laws we already have on the books, which is, you know, tens of thousands of laws, and it will not go away. No matter what law we pass, it's illegal to go outside the law and buy a gun. Well, we already have that law. If we make it illegal twice, it's still not going to stop criminals from doing what they do. So that's the thing that that it's a point that we have to argue with people who are for diminishing the rights of people. So do you believe, you believe in the right for a woman to choose to kill an unborn baby that's not a part of her body, it just happens to be inside her, but you don't agree in the right for for a woman to choose to own a firearm to defend herself. Like what kind of sense are you making right here, right now? Um, so let's, let's put a pit in that for a second. So we were just discussing that Lankford in his quote finger study, reported that from 1966 to 2012, there were 90 public mass shooters in the U.S. and 202 in the rest of the world. Now, the list from CPRC contains 1,448 attacks and at least 3,081 shooters outside the United States over just the last 15 years. So, take 15 years out of the period that Langford examined. He examined 1966 to 2012. He says that there are only 90 public mass shooters in the U.S. and 202 in the rest of the world. Their list contains 1448 and at least 3,081 shooters. So, around 1,500 attacks and 3,000 shooters, and that's outside the United States in just 15 years of the same time period. So, if Langford's data on the U.S. is correct, which is easier for him to have correct data from the United States because he's an American citizen and he has better access to the you know data collection methodologies that are present here in our country even if we say all of his information was correct and we, for the U.S., then that means the attacks outside of the U.S. dwarf ours by, you know, orders of magnitude, correct? So then, and by orders of magnitude, at least 15 times more mass public shooters than Langford in less than a third of the number of years. So if the 15-year time frame is representative, and you multi- time, multiply that out, his data is severely flawed, not to be trusted, shouldn't be, you know, quoted anywhere. But as I said, it was quoted in numerous publications, um, you know, all over the country, 35 different countries and all over the United States used his information to clamor for more gun control. So even when you use coding choices, which CPRC used, that are more charitable to Langford, his 31% estimate of the U.S.'s share of world mass shootings is cut by over 95%. And, and anecdotally and commonsensically, we know that America is so much safer than other places in the world. We know this because of how many people want to immigrate here. Because you can use anecdotal data to draw conclusions that can later be supported by statistics and data. If America was so unsafe, generally speaking, all over, people would not want to emigrate here. How do we know this? Because none of us are dying to go to Honduras or El Salvador. Until just recently, we many, many Americans enjoyed uh, vacationing and working on workaway trips in Venezuela. But now that the country has fallen, no one wants to go there. So people have this uncanny knack for staying away from countries that are really dangerous. And if there's a lot of crime or mass shootings, people just simply don't go there. Look what happened in Sri Lanka at that church. Now, people who loved going to Sri Lanka, it was like a yearly thing for them, they will no longer go there because they understand that elements are hostile to Christianity, will very likely kill them while they're there. Therefore, it's not an option. That's anecdotal evidence that is really accurate in pinpointing where you should look for statistical support, right? So I want to get back to where, so by, by our count, the CPRC count, the U.S. makes up less than 1.43% of the mass public shooters, 2.11% of their murders, 2.888 percent of their attacks. All of these are much less than the U.S.'s 4.6 share of the world population, Attacks in the U.S. are not only less frequent than other countries, they're also much less deadly on average. Given the massive U.S. and international media attention Langford's work has received, and given the considerable impact his research has had on the debate, it is critical that this issue be resolved. His unwillingness to provide even the most basic information to other researchers raises real concerns about Lankford's motives. So I, I want, look, so this is the same place where I was when We first remember when we first kind of began the journey with the special prosecutor and President Trump. And I said uh, many times, if you're just listening to the show, I'm, I'm basically saying this for you just to kind of set the stage for where I was then. I said from the giddy up that if the president was guilty of colluding with the Russians to try to materially impact the election, that he should be subject to whatever due process is in place to deal with that kind of activity, even as the president of the United States. And that my support of him was not something that would basically if he was found guilty of that or if the special prosecutor found evidence of that, that I would not be saying, well, you know, he did it for America. No, I wouldn't. I've been to Russia back when it was the USSR. There's nothing like walking the streets of Moscow as a kid and going into the shops and seeing the demeanor of the people who live there and staying in a hostel there for students and talking to Russian citizens who spoke English. There's nothing like that for you to understand the difference between being an American, living in America, and the freedom that we all just, we run around in it. We're so soaked up with it. We don't even recognize it anymore. There's nothing like going to a communist nation and then coming back here and to understand it, and the truth is, I wasn't growing up here. I was growing up in Germany, which is really—it's a free country. It's a nice, free. It's a beautiful country. It's not as free as America, but it's definitely more free than I mean, just you know, night and day from from what the USSR was. And we went back home after we went. We visited Moscow and what was then Leningrad. I think it's called St. Petersburg now. And uh, we were there for over a week. And we rode public transportation. We ate the food. It was just a magnificent trip that I'll never forget. I hope to tell the grandkids about it one day and get my postcards and pictures out. Be like, look, great grandkids. Back when it was a a communist nation, Russia, I went there and I was a kid. So I'm saying that to say, look, this guy is using incorrect, incomplete data to make assertions that other people in America are trusting and using to try to take away our rights, to make us more like the communist USSR and less like who we are, which is America. And we have every right to push back on that. So I, I have more for you. Um, and this link is in the show notes. And I encourage you to go through. And I don't mean like spend as much time as I spend preparing for the show on this. No, mm-mm. no. What I mean is, I'd love it if you'd take the link and maybe consider sharing it or take a nugget out of it and maybe just, you know, then just, you don't have to memorize it, but just read it so that you remember it. And then <clears throat> the next time someone says, well, we have all the mass shootings in America, here's the information right here for you to shoot it down. You don't have to stand by while people say these really dumb things. And if they say, well, Crime Prevention Research Center is a, an organization that, um, is basically for um, for the Second Amendment. No, mm-mm, no, it's not. Um, it's the same with this. If, if it, let's say that Crime Prevention Research Center brought out new research and data that showed that you know gun ownership, the, the defensive gun use wasn't a thing in this country. That there aren't over two million instances per year of defensive gun use. The reason we're so safe in this country is because a ton of crime is prevented by people saying. They just, they just lift up their little shirt and they show their little muffin top and right next to their little muffin top over their, their sweatpants is a holster with a gun in it. And the person who's about to mug them turns around and runs off. When women are traveling by themselves at night coming from work and a man comes up to them and says, Hey, we're, we're about to do something or starts moving aggressively. And the woman just unholsters her firearm from beneath her jacket and says, we're doing nothing tonight. I'm going to my car and you're running, run. This happens millions of times a year. It doesn't make news. It doesn't make live leak. And when these things happen, we're safer. Because every time a, a criminal meets up with an armed person, they think twice about the next crime they're going to commit. Some of them keep doing it until they get shot. But a lot of them, they they think twice, Right. That's the reason why the majority of the crimes in our country, breaking and entering specifically, happen during times when people aren't home. Because in America, criminals know that they're just as likely to meet up with some five foot two, really cute woman in some, you know, uh, athleta leggings and uh, athleta tennis shoes, completely dolled up to the nines with makeup on coming from some gym someplace. She's just as likely to have a Mossberg behind the refrigerator or behind her kitchen door as she is to have a baby stroller back there. Now, there, there is crime in this country, and there are people who get assaulted, and they're, they're, crime happens. We do have it. But it's lower because we have defensive gun use. And the statistics that were put out by the CDC, which liberals like to say, well, that's not a good study. You're quoting debunked information. We need more funding for the CDC so they can do a study that actually shows the truth about guns. Well, that's what liberals always say. Whenever you show them information that comes from their vaunted and well, hi, well and highly worshipped government about crime, cr- criminal activity, you know what they say? Well, that's not good. That's not good study. That study's no good. Then if you ask them, well, do you have a study that debunks the, the DGU study? Do you, I mean, maybe you have some information that I could read because I'm willing to look at it. And if it's, if it debunks the information that I've seen, I'm willing to consider it because I am. I'm willing to question anything and look at anything. And, you know, weigh what's there. Anything except Christianity, obviously. I'm not willing to, you know, I'm not not, going to debate the the uh, deity of Jesus Christ or the triune Godhead. and You know, that kind of stuff. I'm not going to. That's a waste of time. But I'm talking about these things that have to do with our social issues and our public policy. Of course, I'm willing to read contrarian information. I read a ton of what people had been saying about the president and his so-called collusion. That's how I know he didn't do it. Of course, I read the stuff because I want to know if it was true. So there's a graph from the New York Times that used Lankford's data, which was data on the rate of mass public shooters by country that has not been released to anyone other than the New York Times. So CPRC used corrected data and created their own graph. While the graph with Lankford's data shows a positive relationship between the rate of mass public shooters and the small arms survey measure of gun ownership, which appears to be driven by the outliers of Yemen and the United States. Put that in your back pocket. The graph by CPRC implies a slightly negative relationship. You can click on these and enlarge them and examine them for yourself. I I happen to love charts and graphs, but if you don't, just skip through because they explain everything down below. It's widely believed that a disproportionate share 31% of the world's mass public shooters occurred in the United States. And that's Professor Paul Rubin. And these people are from Emory University. I'm not even going to say their names. But John Lott's careful analysis shows that the proper number is about 2%, less than the U.S.'s share of the world population. All right, last segment of the show when we get back. Stay right there. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch snuggling, ball chasing, face licking, and of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the Treat Stare. Intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance so coming with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Advocates. <sighs> Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. A is for taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're going to be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh, change up my strategy. Okay. Pose for Optimize Your Savings. Let AVO lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, talk, touch their hair. Details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones we carry with us every day. Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life. Hey friends. Doug Post calls you guys show pals. Hey show pals. <laughs> I want to especially thank Doug for always posting a prayer And I think it's Hebrew. He posted in on the live stream whenever it goes live. He posts that and that it's so awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, so we are going to be doing a, a, and I, you know what? I will first give a little caveat. Welcome to the show. And if you're, you know, if you've already given, disregard, okay? So if you've already supported the show, disregard. If you're already a Patreon supporter, disregard. But if you haven't and you're interested in supporting the program, I'm going to be doing a complete website revamp, which we talked about last year. We actually tried to do it last year. We tried to do it in the spring of this year. And a lot of people were like, oh, how can I help? And I was, I, actually wanted the help, but the process was just completely not working out. Um, but now I found someone who is willing to do the work. And if you're willing to help out with it, you can email stacy at com or you can reach out on Facebook or whatever. And I'll give you the info. We, I have to pay for obviously the website revamp, but it is going to make stuff so much easier for you. If you've been over there recently to stacyontheright.com, it's lovely, but it is the original redo that we did about five or six years ago. And, um, so for me to post there more frequently and have original stories by me and by others who want to contribute, because I've had people reach out and say, Hey, you know, I'll post stuff. Um, but the way it is now, it's not, it's not conducive to that. So we want to revamp it and, and make it completely a hundred percent, but I'm not able to do that with no income coming in except what I have going on with my Patreon. And we don't yet have any sponsors signed on. Very hopeful about that, but not anybody yet. So. We're going to need to raise some money to do that and not a lot. Um, I will get a quote from him later on today and then I'm going to be completely transparent about it. How much is needed and hopefully we can get it done Um, because if you think about it, that's the way President Trump is raising so much money. He is actually two million ahead of their expectation for this point in the year and he's doing that not because the Koch brothers are writing checks because guess what? The Koch brothers are no longer supporting Republican Party politics. They're actually doing Um, they're doing what they call a bipartisan push where they'll talk to anybody. They'll talk to Planned Parenthood. Um, so it's, it's really small donors who've driven that for the president, which means people saying here's five bucks, here's 35 bucks, here's 10 bucks one time because they want to see the president win. And so obviously I don't need to raise 12 million bucks for a website. It's going to be way less than that, but I will need to raise some money to do it. And, um, you know, I'm so excited because the website examples that he has shown, are so beautiful. And this is an affordable, I've been assured it's going to be affordable. So I'm not going to have sticker shock when I'm finally given the quote. So I'll give information about that out. In fact, I got to find a centralized place to put it so you can find out about it if you don't, so you don't have to email me for it. Maybe I'll do a blog post at Stacyontheright.com. Then you'll be able to click there and read everything. As soon as he gives it to me, I'm going to put it up there and then you can make your choice and um, who whatever you decide. I'm just grateful that you guys listen and that you're here. And it's been so awesome. This whole process, I've really gone from what happened to me to woohoo, you know, look what happened. It's we, we're doing such cool stuff here, you guys, to be able to be broadcasting from here from home, streaming, um, you know, this, this is just, it, this is an adventure. Okay, it's, it's totally an adventure. So I'm, I'm here for it. So let's finish off um, our information here. So what I want to do is I want to move on from here. And just in case you're wondering what kind of information you'll find if you click through the link to the crimeresearch.org Crime Prevention Research Center study that rebuts the study by Adam Lankford. Down at the bottom, even if you say, I'm not interested in reading all that stuff, Stacy shared that on the show. I want to look at the data sets. Well, they're here. Appendix one is 451 pages of foreign cases of mass shootings. Appendix two is the US cases, which comprises 10 pages. And then there's an Excel file for international mass public shootings. And all of this information is publicly available, meaning you don't need a password. You need to be special. You click the link at the blog post uh, or, or over at listen.staceyontheright.com. It takes you right to the website. You click, click down at the bottom there and you're looking at the data for yourself. You can save it to your own computer and create your own charts and graphs and try to replicate the data yourself. Now I don't know about you, but I have dinner to cook tonight and a couple of kid appointments. So I'll never be doing that. But if you want to, okay, you could get together with some girlfriends and over coffee, you know, the number crunching friends, y'all could recreate the study yourself because that they've now given you the information. So let's go to the next bit. Oh, and I have to shout out, I'll look here. Let me give a shout out to um, Marcus Howell. So Marcus Howell sent me Excuse me. Marcus Howell sent me these links. Marcus, you rock. Thank you so much for sending me the, the basis for this conversation that we're having today. Um, cause I've seen, I've seen the, the CPRC study before, but these other two links are new to me. And so let's go to those now. Um, a study on gun violence should include how guns save lives. And this is over at Forbes. Now, Forbes, um, I think I, I might have had a piece up over there before. You know how when you do guest op-eds, you always forget how different places you put stuff up. This is by Paul Say. He's a contributor on the opinion side. He covers healthcare and economics from a free market perspective. And his piece is called Any, Stud- Any Study of Gun Violence Should Include How Guns Save Lives. So he says, after the Parkland, Florida shooting, some are calling for more government research into gun violence. Now the CDC is restricted by Congress from using tax money to promote gun control, but they are not restricted from doing gun research or conducting research into gun related violence. So they're actually allowed to do research now. The reason they don't do it is because the lefties over at the CDC did a comprehensive research study into defensive gun use. And that's how we know that there are, you know, nearly three million instances a year. It's between 2.5 and 2.8 million per year. So, some legislators want to remove the funding restriction on researching into gun control because they know that the researchers would simply make stuff up like Adam Lankford did because they're not going to find research data sets that support their assertion that we need to control guns. Separate from the federal government, the state of California created a gun violence research center, heavy quote fingers, and the state of New Jersey is considering establishing a similar program. Also, university professors such as David Hemingway of the Harvard Injury Control Research Center have called for more federal funding of gun violence research. Now, I got to say, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be catty here, y'all, but you know, and you, y'all know I don't have anything against white people, but I'm going to just be real with you. This is the podcast. It's time for some real talk. You know these old liberal white folks are not going to look into gun violence in inner cities or gun violence where the perpetrator is black and the victims are black. Y'all know that, right? You know that liberals only care about black people when it's voting time. But any other time where they can actually study crime and have an impact on what is happening in black communities, these people don't give two cents about black folks. So when you hear them say, we want the CDC to steady gun violence, what they mean is we want gun control. We want to make the suburbs like the inner cities of America because they control the inner cities. They don't control all the suburbs. The suburbs are safe because criminals know that when you drive out past the city limits and you get in the suburbs, that suburban people are armed to the teeth. They're not shooting anybody. The crime rate is low. The crime rate is low is because you know if you try to roll up on somebody in their garage in the suburbs... You're going to be met up with some firepower, whether it's a little old granny or a, an older guy with some compression tights on because, he's, you know, his his veins are not are acting up or, you know, he's got gout going on. Doesn't matter. He's still armed. He's still going to reach up underneath some table in the garage or he's going to grab in, in his glove box and he's going to shoot you. So you might as well take your old criminal self to the inner city where the people have so much trouble getting guns that only the criminals have guns. Yeah, I said it. That's that's what the Democrats want to do to all of us. That's why they want these fake research centers to give them information on gun control, because once they control the guns and once they've disarmed us and once they've got us all scared and huddled together, trying to use bats and bits and bobs to defend ourselves, that's when they'll roll the tanks in. You want to see what happens when liberals get in control and you don't you're not armed. Look at Venezuela. Venezuela. Look how they rolled those tanks. They were running over protesters with tanks owned by the government because protesters were, they were protesting because they were hungry. They weren't even out there talking about political ideas. They were just like, can we get some food and some medicine up in this piece? We know you have it. We know it's on the border and you won't let us go get it. America sent some supplies down here. Can we have it? And they were like, no, you can't have it. But what you can have is these wheels on this tank and, and incoming and ran some of them over. That's what the government does when you're not armed. That's what the government does when you don't have an electoral college. That's what the government does when there's no constitution and there's no law and order and there's no armed populace to enforce that order. And mind you, all of the gun laws in the world don't take care of the 400 to 600 million guns that are in this country. Gun laws don't take care of how they're going to get them out of our hands. Gun laws don't take care of how they're going to actually figure. How do you take guns from people who have laws on the books that say that if you come into their home and you're armed, you don't have to be armed. You just have to be inside their house. And if they feel threatened, they can shoot you. How do you get guns from those people? You can say you want voluntary turn ins, but all they turn in are broken down guns, antique guns, guns that don't work. They're not turning in their brand new Mossbergs, AR-15s, Rugers. You know, they're not turning those in. The Smith & Wessons are staying home. They're getting cleaned and put back in their little cases or wherever they're being kept. So, Dr. Timothy Wheeler of Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership noted that the CDC has a track record of anti-gun bias. In the 1990s, one CDC official even stated that his goal was to create a public perception of gun ownership as something dirty, deadly, and banned. But regardless of whether gun violence research is being conducted by the federal government, states, universities, and private organizations, there are three key principles all public health researchers and firearms policy analysts should remember. So put these in your back pocket. The first principle is that firearms save lives as well as take lives, which Again, the defensive gun use study saying that two and a half to three million uses of defensive gun use, instances of defensive gun use, means that that's how much more crime we would have if everybody was disarmed. This place would be a hellhole. America would be a place that was unsafe for even the roughest riders to stroll through. And I know how many people love to put on their cutest makeup and their best lashes and say, this is my best friend. She's my ride or die, which my question is always, where are we going while we're riding? And number two, why does somebody have to die? The person who's riding with you, why do they have to die in order to ride? That's first of all. Second of all, it's it's all well and good for us to act all hardcore but we're, we can be hardcore in a nation as safe as ours. Everybody can, you know, throw up the little two fingers and, you know, do the little arms out to the side and take a picture in their cutest $300 boots. Everybody can do that because you're pretty safe. You're relatively safe. You don't have to worry about anything happening to you. There's not really anybody coming after you. You really are just going to ride to the nearest froyo and get some frozen yogurt. You're not riding into a situation where anyone's going to die. That's just your Instagram persona, Right. <laughs> so millions of americans legally carry a firearm every day i always say this because wherever you are somebody nearby more than likely there's somebody nearby who's armed it's just, this is america that's that's what's going on so number two and there's a lot of information here but it's linked up in the show notes um so i'm getting down to number two. Oh my okay The second key principle is the value of firearms in the hands of law-abiding citizens should be measured in terms of lives saved or crimes prevented, not criminals killed. So as I just demonstrated, the number of defensive gun uses far dwarfs, far and away dwarfs the number of people who are killed by mass shootings. We should do everything we can to reduce the number of Americans who are killed by mass shootings, but we should never do that by disarming lawfully armed citizens. And then the last point that he makes is remember when you're analyzing public health gun violence research that the right to self-defense does not depend on statistics and numbers. However large the number of defensive gun uses or how small, however large the number of accidents or tragedies caused caused by guns or how small, the right and ability to choose for yourself how to defend yourself and your family at home or away from it remains, and that numerical debate should have no particular bearing on it. And this is a great point that he makes here number three, because I see a lot on. Um, oh my nose is itching. Um, I see a lot on on Twitter and Facebook that people are like, ah, you know what? If if more people could be saved from mass shootings, then it's worth it. It's not about numbers. It's about rights. So keep that with you. And we actually didn't get to our third piece. All right. God bless from the Heartland. Righteously American.